Will Kennedy, voice of the Argos, joining the show. And, Will, a lot to get to today, but uh, first things first, how are things going? Ooh, I'm sitting down. It's been a long day. I'm still out on campus on a Tuesday in December after the semester is over at, you know, 535. So, no, uh, Drew, it has been, you know, the last 72 hours plus has just been as wild a, a period as I've probably dealt with you know, in a long career of dealing with a lot of wild stuff in sports. So, um, you know, interesting. A lot, of, a lot of highs and lows in that in that window. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Let, let's start out with uh, possibly the lowest one here. Uh, Argos falling to Ferris State 38-17, battled from being down 17-3, to tied up at halftime, and then uh, outscored 21-zip in the second half. Uh, there, there seemed to be a couple of moments, though, that really stood out. Uh, obviously, you have the sack fumble, uh, the, the strip sack by Ferris State. They get good field position, and then the fake punt. Um, that was, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I have a question about that. It was really interesting to see the punt team come out there and run a fake punt at that time down 31-17 with just 10 minutes left to go in the fourth. But there also seemed like moments where Ferris State was just the better team. What were you observing over the course of this game, watching the team battle back and then fall short? Yeah, I mean, Ferris State is obviously a great football team. You can't deny what the Bulldogs have done over the last couple of seasons. And really, the, the two programs, Ferris and West Florida, you know, the most consistently dominant in that little window of the last five or six years. So Valdosta probably in there too, but yeah, there was a heck of a matchup and, and yeah, back and forth, first quarter, second quarter, wild swings, you know, that big lead for Ferris and the Argos come back and really looked like everything was trending the Argos direction. You score on back-to-back drives, your defense starts to hold that bulldog offense in check and you're going to get the ball coming out of the locker room, a tie football game. The other stuff that happened that you mentioned after that, to me, really, it came down to that first drive coming out of the locker room. You go down the mm. field, you get to the Ferris 34, and you know you, you put yourself in trouble. You, you pick up a penalty, it puts you in a third and long. You need 14, you come up with 12. You got a fourth and two, and a little bit of a miscommunication between David Durden and, and Pee Wee Jarrett, and probably a hold on the, on the defensive back from Ferris, and no flag is thrown. You don't get that on the road sometimes. If they hit that pass, Durden probably scores. You know, if they pick up a first down, the Argos probably score on that drive. And all of a sudden, it's 24-17. You've scored three straight times. Mm. And all of a sudden, Ferris is the team is trying to figure out what could, what they can do to swing things back around. It kind of all cascaded from not from there not getting that fourth down play and converting it. And that strip sack, you know, they were getting some pressure on Pee Wee, but he had done a nice job of, of getting away from it and running a couple times. And, uh, you know, just just turned out it was just flat. Flat second half, the Argos couldn't, couldn't really run the football. Yeah, uh, the way that they had run all season long, I thought that played a big role, and we we kind of wondered. I know we had talked about it on this show. Like, could the Argos transition to a passing game if they had to? And I think we found out the answer. That didn't help that David Durden got hurt and was out of the game most of the second half. It just you know everything that could go wrong went wrong in half number two, and you can't have that happen in the semifinals of the D two playoffs. Yeah, 309 rushing yards net for Ferris State and then 113 for the Argos. Uh, normally, we, we, we've seen games where uh, UWF look like the 309-yard rushing team and only are giving up 113, but they, they had trouble stopping Ferris State's ground game as well. Uh, a lot of holes in the lines. Uh, one of the interesting things, too, was, and you brought this up a little bit, Pee Wee getting some of that pressure, and 
I don't know if he just goes away from his reads at times, but he only threw, uh, I think it was, he only threw like 15 or 16 passes. It's not like they they, they threw too much. It seemed like Ferris State was under control, especially in that second half, like you mentioned. They turned the ball over on downs, and then Ferris State really just took over at that point, and UWF couldn't get going. I mean, Pee was sacked five times, only had nine completions too. So it seemed like the lines were dominated or at least held in check by Ferris State more uh, over the course of the entire game. Offensive line, obviously a lot of talent on the defensive line. Oladipo and Murphy mm. were, were everything they were advertised to be. We, we missed a lot of tackles, though. I mean, there were yeah. opportunities to get Marcus Taylor and C.J. Jefferson on the ground early in plays, and we just didn't cut, we didn't get them. You know, weren't able to tackle, and then they'd get loose and you know pick up some nice chunks. And can't do that against a good football team. And you know, hats off to Ferris. They're going to have a good game with Colorado Mines coming up here on Saturday. Well, but it's such a disappointing way to end the season. You know, you get to that last eight and four and you feel like it's anybody's, you know, ring to grasp. And just when you don't come out and feel like you played your best football in that game that you lose, it can be really, really frustrating. And, you know, it'll sit with a lot of these guys for a while, you know, it'll be something that lingers through the off season and uh, some, you know, you got to ask yourself some questions. I really feel bad for the guys that that was their last game. You know, that, that was the last time you played football. It's a tough, tough feeling and a tough thing to deal with. Speaking with Will Kennedy, voice of the Argos, uh, David Durden, one of those guys going down in that. But I want to go back to that fake punt. And I, not that this would have changed the game. They're down 14 with 10 minutes left to go. And I know the, on the ESPN Plus broadcast, this was brought up uh, after going back. And, and I thought about this too. First thing that came to my mind is you got to go for this. You're down 10, or you're, you're down 14 with 10 minutes left to go. He sends out the punt team. And then the first thought is, well, wa- watch for the fake punt. But then it's like, wh- why would you send the punt team out to do that. You trust the offense that, that you've gone to time in and time out, and that is delivered for you time in and time out. I don't know what, if it was the lack of the run game that maybe spooked Coach Shinnick away from doing that, but what do you think ultimately went into that decision to try to throw some trickeration in there down 14 with 10 minutes left to go in the game? It's something they worked on during the week. I saw it you know, in practice that they, they were, you know, and they do, they work on it throughout the season, but I think they, worked on it with the purpose of we're probably going to run this in this game. I mean, obviously it had been done to us in the playoffs and it had been effective. And so, you know, I'm not quite sure about why LaRon Cox was the guy with the football. I love LaRon Cox. He's a great defensive lineman. He's not exactly the guy with like carrying the football in that situation. Uh, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you know, get matchups with a return team and, you know, hopefully, so if you leave your offense out there, it's offense against defense. Everybody knows what's happening. Uh, when you go with a fake punt, it is trying to take advantage of a matchup. Just feels like it didn't. One, it didn't work. But two, it just wasn't the one I would have drawn up. You know, like the direct yeah. snap to the up man. But that's the play that worked against us. If you'll remember back earlier in in the playoffs, Delta ran that early in the game uh, over in Cleveland, Mississippi, and was able to pick up a first down. That same part of the field on a, on a similar down and distance. So. I think you just you felt like yeah because you couldn't run the football the offense is struggling there in the second half you know you got to come up with something to make a play and I mean what a, what a weird game in the fact that you know there was that obviously there was a fourth down we didn't get in the second half but really the only turnover in the game was the fumble you know it was the pee wee fumble but what what happened was we didn't score out of the locker room they put together a nice drive to go down and take the lead of the game and then we just gave them short field fumble fake punt we gave them you know 35 yards and in to score you can't do that with a team like Ferris well Kennedy voice of the Argos joining the sports drive now transitioning uh you have the tough loss charter back home 
Then you find out that Coach Shinnick is resigning and is going on to Towson. Uh, the overall feeling, I mean, I, how much of a shock was it actually that Coach Shinnick was no longer going to be the coach of the program? A little bit of a shock to the system, no matter, you know, the fact that I, I will say this. I mean, this is not something that's unexpected, right? We, I think we've been kind of, if you're an Argo fan, if you follow this program, you've kind of been since 2019 at least kind of wondering and waiting and thinking, when is it going to happen? You know, when is, when this guy's just done too much and, and, and had, had this incredible, unprecedented success and that somebody's going to pluck him away. And so it's not, that part of it is not surprising. But when it does happen, it just, it, yeah, it hits you. It's kind of a gut. And I saw fans that were you know, kind of posting and saying it's like a gut punch. It's like losing a family member in a lot of ways. And you cannot say enough about what Pete Shinnick has done for this program and this university at the University of West Florida. And, you know, I fully expect he's going to go to Towson State and do great things up there and, you know, get that program cooking in the FCS level. So, you know, bittersweet right so happy for pete and the opportunity but man it hurts to lose a guy like that and not just because of what he is as a football coach but who he is as a person and and you know, i'm just so fortunate to get to work with him week in and week out doing you know our, our video programming and radio and and everything else and he's easy to, he, he is the easiest coach i've ever worked with and that that's not it's really not even close so um just just a fantastic guy and those are big shoes to fill i mean you know, he's, he's done things here that just you, you cannot repeat, you know, uh, starting up a program, winning a national championship, playing in three final fours, uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, very, and a lot of people were vocal on social media, whether it be Twitter, on our Facebook page. After after we posted it, we, we got a lot of good comments from, from people and, you know, thanking Co- Coach Shinnick and, and wishing him best of luck, obviously, at Towson. And, and, and we do we, we wish him luck, but as – as you said, Will, uh, we, we do. It's a little bit bittersweet knowing the success that he's brought. But that being said, the announcement today, Caleb Nobles, a guy that is very familiar with the Argos program, even been there since the very uh, beginning, if you will, uh, going back to his playing days, is the new head football coach of West Florida. Your immediate thoughts when you found out that Caleb was going to be the guy that UWF were bringing in? For me familiarity and knowing Caleb. I mean, to me, it was like, yes, this is the right choice. I mean, really, I'm going to be honest. As soon as I heard that that was the direction and that he was there and he was interested, of course, it was kind of my response and my reaction to it. And, and people are going to say, you know, is, you know, he's too young or he's not experienced. He's got football experience. His dad, Buddy Nobles, legendary high school football coach in Georgia and Florida, passed away within the last two years. And, uh, you know, it was a fantastic father and football coach and it helped Caleb develop as a, as a player, obviously. And then, you know, was a, a rock to lean on as a coach and Caleb spent time, obviously with coach Pete Shinnick as a player, as a graduate assistant and as a full-time staff member. And then he got to spend two years at Clemson, you know, working with Dabo Sweeney and that offensive staff and the whole, the whole program in general. So yeah, is he 29 years old? Absolutely. Does he have, you know, some coaching experience. Yes, he does. And including a national championship and uh, lots of success at Clemson as well. And, uh, you know, somebody asked about, you know, how, how old he was and he said 29. And I was like, that's interesting because that's kind of the same age Sean McVay was when he got hired as the Rams head coach. And that worked out pretty well in Los Angeles with the Super Bowl title. So no, I think he's the right guy. He got a lot of Pete Shinnick, obviously the roots of the program and, and learned a lot from Pete and he'll bring some of what he's got at Clemson there. He'll bring some of his dad and, and that, and he's, he's fiery. He's a little more, 
has a little more passion in the way he presents it and the way he does it and the vocalizes it than probably Coach Shinnick, but there will be some similarities. And he knows what's expected. He knows he needs to win. Listen, he knows how tough the GSC is. Uh, he played quarterback at Valdosta before he came mm, yeah. to West Florida and was our first quarterback and then, you know, was coached. And so he knows. He knows the GSC as well as anybody, even at a young age. And I, I think he's the right guy uh, in the right time, right situation. He's player-centric. He's already talking about, you know, I got I got to connect with the players. He told me he said I've got we've got to recruit our own locker room. That's what the portal, you know, has done to college football. But that's just the reality of it. So he understands it, and he was a football operations guy here at West Florida, so he knows every part of what it takes to make the circus, you know, move from town to town. And he's been involved in you know the transfer portal. On his resume, you know, the number one thing that you, I'm going to look at and say is he's a, in large part responsible for the development of one Austin Reed. I mean, he, you know, and Austin will tell you that Caleb Nobles meant more to me than probably anybody as far as getting me to the level I am as a quarterback now. So, and they still have a great relationship and still talk together. So, great. so many positives with Caleb coming in. And so I was talking about it earlier about his age. I mean, he is only two years older than I am, which is crazy to even think about. But Dabo Sweeney, and there's some comments that that Brian in uh, the in the uh, release, in the in the press release, Dabo saying he has a high aptitude for the game. He's passionate about it and is a great communicator. Um, it's been really fun to see him up close and how knowledgeable he is, how detailed he is, and how good he is with people and what a great communicator he is. You pair that with the fact that he is younger, and even Caleb said it himself, I'm younger, I can relate to guys, I've been there. You know, him being able to say, I went to the school, I'm from the school, I am younger. I can relate to the guys who are in college. Where they're, I'm only seven years older than these guys who are graduating college now. So him being able to have that, I think, is a very encouraging looking at the trendy hires, as you mentioned, Sean McVay, and some of these other guys even as well throughout college football, getting their chance as a younger coach. But it tends to pay off more often than not. And him being a guy that wants to re- recruit the local area as well, I think, is appealing for – it'll be interesting to see how the – program itself involves local high schools as well and um just seeing the talent that he's able to bring in i'm really looking forward to it and speaking of talent real quick uh again will kennedy voice of the argos joining the show i want to get your thoughts on this Caden leggett uh, shamari mason peewee anybody any thought of what those guys are going to do are they staying are they debating leaving or is there anybody who's on the fence that you know of they are, you know, Coach Nobles, Caleb's about to meet with the team at 6 o'clock, uh, the guys that are still here. And there were quite a few of them. Pee Wee was at the press conference. Uh, some of the other guys were there as well. And he's going to meet with the ones in person that are here and the others uh, through Zoom. And so he'll get a chance to connect with some of those guys. And he knows a couple, you know. He was around when, when Shamari was a freshman. And, um, you know, there's some conversations, you know, some guys, and this is what happens at the D2 level, some guys may stop playing even if they have another year of eligibility left for their own reasons. They may decide, I want to go into business. I've already graduated. I'm ready to move on to the next phase of my life. Some guys may move on and play at other places. You know, the portal allows that uh, that kind yeah. of movement much more easily than before. And But, I, you know, he, that's what he's talking about, recruit, re-recruiting that locker room and knowing who the key guys are. And, obviously, he'll use the transfer portal to this program's advantage as well. And there's going to be a lot of kids that are looking to come to Pensacola, Florida and, and the University of West Florida and play here at this level with this success. And, and that's why it's important, too, that you know he's working on keeping some staff members here. 
uh, that continuity. And then he's looking to bring him in some, some, some new faces and, you know, some people with Clemson connections and otherwise. And so pumping some new energy in. And like you said about him being that age and being, you know, connected to the players in a different way. Some of the guys that he's looking to bring in, I think will do the same thing. And maybe some guys with some NFL experience and, you know, some other things that uh, both, you know, playing wise and that they'll speak to some of these younger kids. And I expect Caleb to be able to recruit exceptionally well He's going to, you know, speak to the to the high school football all star banquet, which I think Pete was scheduled to get, to do. Now Caleb gets to step in and do it, and he talked about the importance of recruiting here in the Panhandle area and really making connections with the high schools. And I think that's that's the way, as they say, you know, they stay on the Mandalorian. It is the way. Spectacular stuff, Will Kennedy, voice of the Argos. Appreciate the time as always, Will. You have a good one. We'll be in touch. Yes, yeah. you guys need me, just let me know.